Ever been on vacation and marveled at how daily life can be just over the border of a nearby state? Well, R&D tax incentives sometimes work out that way too. While the majority are modeled after the federal credit, many states offer their own spin on the already generous tax benefit. This episode of the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit kicks off a new series where we focus on a few states connected by the incentives they offer. Today, we're taking a particular look at one policy initiative that's fueling state-level R&D across the country, Innovation Zones. To help us discuss what these zones are and how they're impacting R&D activities in the states that have them, I'd like to welcome back Cross-Border Solutions Manager of R&D Tax Credit, Lydia Clowney. Thank you so much for joining us again, Lydia. Matt, thanks so much for uh, having me back. Good to be here. So one of the bigger state-level trends impacting R&D currently is the establishment of innovation zones or districts of innovation. To stick with that term for right now, what are innovation zones and what states have them? To define them is going to be tough. There's really no definition or no one definition of innovation zones. They're going to be different state to state, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So we're going to have to talk about them in in a little bit of a loose way. The terms used to denote a, a region, typically it's a geographic region, but that's not always the case. So basically, an innovation zone is a place where the rules are different. And what rules? It depends on the innovation zone. So states with innovation zone programs of some kind, uh, it's a lot of them. You got Arkansas, Colorado, Georgia, Idaho, Kentucky, Mississippi. I could go on. Uh, About half the states in the country have them. And weirdly, a lack of them in the West Coast states, uh, although actually Nevada has proposed one that's very controversial that I think we're going to be able to get into a little bit later. Yes, but just as a term, it really is kind of denoting how these innovation zones are exceptions that prove the rule. And of course, that's what we're talking about today, starting to examine the states with the more notable innovation zone program, starting with New Jersey, because that state's programs intersects with a tax certificate program that's very interesting. Tell us about what's going on in New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey's innovation zone program intersects with the tax certificate program. And that has an impact to their R&D program. So this is one state where these initiatives kind of do go hand in hand with tax credits. That's not always the case. As we said in the beginning, it's, it's kind of going to be different depending on the particular rules. But in New Jersey, it actually does have an impact on R&D tax credits. So the New Jersey Economic Development Authority put this into place and the deadline actually just passed to submit for 2021, but this is something that companies do on an annual basis. Essentially, it enables qualified, unprofitable New Jersey-based technology or biotech companies to sell a percentage of their net operating losses, their NOLs, or their research and development credits to unrelated but profitable companies. So there are some certain restrictions on this. You have to have fewer than 225 US employees and that does include uh, related companies like parent companies, subsidiaries. There's also a minimum employment threshold for companies that want to make a sale like this. But if you qualify, you are allowed to sell instead of carrying forward your NOLs until whenever you're profitable and applying them against tax, you can actually sell those NOLs and those R&D tax credits. Now, they have to be sold for at least 80% of their value, and companies are limited to a maximum lifetime benefit of $20 million per business. 
but companies are doing this. There's a recent example of a company selling $1.3 million of its available tax credits to a company. We don't know what company it was. It was an unrelated, profitable New Jersey company. And so a company would want to buy a tax credit like this because maybe they're not doing their own research and development. They have tax to offset and essentially they can get those credits for less than they're worth. The selling company has to sell them for at least 80% of their value, but you know, there's some space between 80% and hundred percent. So the company that's buying is making a little bit of money on that. They're gaining more value than they have paid out. So New Jersey is cool because they allow companies to sell unused R&D tax credits and actually NOLs as well on an open market for money. And so let's imagine you've been doing research and development activities, but your company isn't paying tax in New Jersey. Well, what do you do with that tax credit at that point? If you're not paying tax because you're, you're in losses, then you might have a large NOL carry forward as well. And if you're a startup, you're probably looking at that and saying, well, what good is this to me if I can't use it for years? So what New Jersey allows you to do is sell those credits to someone else, to an interested, unrelated third party that has tax liability and would like to offset it. So a company that has these losses, they can sell them. They have to sell them for at least 80% of their value. And there's a maximum lifetime benefit of $20 million per business. I'll say too, it's only certain companies that are going to be allowed to use this program. There are limits both from a minimum threshold and a maximum threshold with regard to the number of employees you have to have, a couple other requirements as well. But it is a way that you can turn unused NOLs and tax credits into capital immediately as opposed to waiting for when you have tax liability. Now, only technology and biotech companies can take advantage of this program. You have to have filed for or have a license to use protected intellectual property. Again, lot of restrictions. But if you fall into this area, then you get to monetize those credits immediately. And on the other side, a company that is profitable and has New Jersey tax liability can, can buy those credits and can take advantage of them where otherwise they might go on. So the program is capped at a certain dollar value per year for these sales, 75 million annually. But 10 million of that is set aside for businesses that are within innovation zones. So they're preferenced in a certain way. And that's how you get that intersection between the innovation zone and the tax credit program. And I'm assuming then that these NOLs and R&D tax credits can only be sold to other companies that are paying tax in New Jersey. To use a tax credit, you have to have tax liability. So I can't imagine a company would want to buy them if they weren't paying tax in New Jersey. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. 
which brings us to Nevada, as we were prophesizing before. Nevada doesn't have innovation zones currently, but the governor has proposed them, albeit in a controversial form that received some pushback. Uh, what can you tell us about Nevada's innovation zones? But the governor has proposed them, albeit in a controversial form that received some pushback. What can you tell us about Nevada's innovation zones and how they would compare to New Jersey's? I think this is such an interesting comparison because they really have nothing to do with one another. And I think that highlights how different these programs are from state to state, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Nevada, and to be clear, this is only a proposal. And it, like you said, it did get a heck of a lot of pushback. So I, I don't know if we can expect to see this uh, go into effect anytime soon, if at all. But interesting to see what people are thinking about and conceptualizing as potential ways of encouraging uh, research and development or, or innovation more broadly. So basically, Nevada's proposal says that a company, and there, of course, there are going to be a lot of restrictions on what kind of company and who can do this, but a company could essentially set up its own sub-government, a self-governing political subdivision within Nevada that is administratively separate from the county that it otherwise would be a part of. So the big name here in terms of the company that was kind of the poster child for this program or this proposal is a company called Blockchains LLC. And by the name, you can probably tell what they do. They are trying to push forward blockchain technology and certain other softwares that kind of intersect with that. So the requirement is that a company have at least 50,000 acres of vacant land within a single county. So Blockchains LLC, they bought like 67,000 acres of land in Story County, $170 million in, in 2018. And the county starts out with control over everything in the innovation zone. So they still have control over the public services, they receive the taxes, et cetera. But eventually control over the administration of this area, including even school districts, not to mention taxes, public services, even utilities, would go to a newly set up government within this area. So it's, it's really interesting. It's almost, uh, well, actually, Stephen Colbert called it neo-feudalist in a pretty interesting <laughs> YouTube clip. <laughs> and there, you know, there are, there are things, there are rules that the proposal contained, like there have to be commitments to invest certain dollar amounts in the area. Maybe there would be employment regulations saying you have to create so many jobs or this or that. And certainly there are a lot of promises being made by companies like blockchains to say that they will make certain investments and, and create jobs. But there's a lot of backlash. I mean, we call it neo-feudalist for a reason. It's, it's taking control away from the government and giving it to a oddly set up sub-government that in some ways seems to approximate a, a company town, like in kind of the, the old days of gold rush days. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered 
transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp indeed so what's your opinion on nevada's version of innovation zones what do you think they could do to make it a more palatable proposal <laughs> to, to ask what to do to make it more palatable implies that it is not palatable and if i'm completely honest i i don't i, I it's not to my taste I think we've seen a lot of promises over the years. If you think about, when, well, I'm in the Midwest, so think about yep. the Foxconn plant that was promised in Wisconsin. They were going to you know, invest billions and billions of dollars and create tens of thousands of jobs. And, you know, here we are, you know, five years later, nothing has materialized. So we've seen this kind of promise before, and I'm truly skeptical that a government could be set up essentially to serve a single company and not end up with the result of, really serving that single company to the exclusion of others within that region. I, I'm not sure what you do to make it more palatable. To me, I'd probably scrap the whole thing and, and try again. <laughs> Rip it up and start again as the song goes. So what do you think Nevada wants to get out of this kind of proposal? Yeah, I think Nevada is trying to encourage these large companies to come into their state. I think that they think that something will come from that, whether it's excitement about the state. Maybe they think that People with high tech degrees will move to the state to work for these companies. Remember when Amazon was looking for new headquarters? Why was any state trying to woo Amazon to build a headquarters there? It's going to be similar justifications by state and local governments in terms of trying to incentivize these companies to move into their areas. Now, whether or that's foolish or smart is that's an open question. So innovation zones are along the lines of certain patent box regimes we've seen all over the world in recent years where countries are trying to get companies to set up technology headquarters in places other than, say, Silicon Valley is, is sort of what I'm getting from this. Yeah, I think there's probably some truth there. I think there are reasons why people live in a place like San Francisco, for instance, and you mentioned Silicon Valley. And it's not just because those companies are there. The companies are there in a large sense because the people are there. And why are the people there? It's because San Francisco is a really cool city. There are certain mechanisms that companies have, that, that state and local governments have to push through some of these initiatives, try to get the companies to move. But if, if you don't have the people, if you don't have the intellectual resources, it's probably not going to work out well. So to me, it seems like a, a better plan to kind of encourage that would be to actually invest in infrastructure and resources throughout the country. I mean, if we don't have like working excellent internet in the whole country, then no company is going to go to a place without it. But there is sort of a chicken and egg question as well, right? As in, do the companies come first or do the people come first? Do the companies come because of the people or do the people come because of the company, because of the job opportunities? So this is straying a bit 
from our state level R&D subject, but as U.S. R&D initiatives are so tied up with the economic competition with China, we'd be remiss to overlook the Innovation Zone initiatives in that country as well. Uh, what can you tell us about China's Innovation Zones and how they're contributing to the intense overall R&D project initiated there? China is basically hitting every lever that they can in terms of encouraging R&D, encouraging high-tech innovation and related initiatives. So absolutely, they are trying to lead the world in AI by 2030. And their innovation zones and those programs date back to the 1980s. So they've been around for a while. They've been especially focused on AI development. And really, we've seen a lot of advancements in the areas that they've targeted. So at this point, there are a number of innovation zones and they are scattered across the country. There were recently about five new ones instituted. And again, they are all over. So they are in Beijing, they're in Tianjin, Zhejiang, really a number of, of cities and, and provinces. And they're looking at accelerating R&D. They're looking at algorithms, software, hardware, again, definitely focusing in a lot on AI and that kind of future of technology. There are some differences. I will say there are some differences to the U.S. state-level innovation zone initiatives. There probably really aren't many parallels but when we look at the Chinese initiatives and the U.S. states. But on the other hand, we do have some federal programs that are a little bit more similar. A better comparison to the Chinese innovations is probably with the recent U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. So this Built on the Endless Frontier Act. We've talked about it a little bit in some of our other podcasts, um, but it's really focused on uh, improving R&D and it institutes uh, regional technology hubs. And I would almost think about those regional technology hubs as more akin to the Chinese innovation zones. And this bill also focuses on robotics, semiconductors, AI, cybersecurity. So really hitting all those same things that the Chinese innovation zones are focused on. Indeed. And checking back in with the U.S. to close this discussion, are you aware of any other state-level R&D initiatives similar to innovation zones that exist currently or are being proposed? Like we were talking about with China, probably nothing from the state level. Maybe the closest thing is, again, that U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. We also have another concept kind of related to the innovation zones called opportunity zones. And I'd say those are maybe a little bit more similar. These would be geographic areas within states that are preferenced for some of these items. Now, the difference is that the opportunity zones are in distressed areas as opposed to being in advantaged areas like the Chinese initiatives. But they are provided for by federal statute and they provide for benefits that you wouldn't be able to get if you were outside of that region. So that's probably the closest thing. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, 
Why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. We want to thank Lydia for joining us on this very informative discussion. If you like today's podcast, you're going to love the other shows in Cross Border Solutions Tax Podcast Suite. That's the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing and the Fiona Show Tax Provision. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit, and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in this beneficial credit every week. I'm your host and audio producer, Matthew DeMello. Stephen Markow wrote today's script. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Next week.